This is the Morning Rush. Coming up on today's show, West Virginia bounces back against TCU. Big Ben takes a pay cut to return to the Steelers. We'll hear from Hampshire girls basketball coach Julianne Buckley as the Trojans open the season tonight in short gap. We'll look at Joe Lunardi's latest NCAA bracket projections, which he was nice enough to update last night for us. Creighton does the right thing with Greg McDermott. And Joe Shuda has another Rush Friday feature for us, talking some hockey, some pucks, as he catches up with former Penguin, and I love saying this guy's name, Rod Buskus. I love it. Rod Buskus. Ladies and gentlemen, on the ice, from the Pittsburgh Penguins, Rod Buskus. Anyway, all that and more coming up in the next two hours of today's rush. Good morning to you. How the heck are you? Glad to have you on board. So glad you could take some time to tune in and hang out as we kick off yet another Essential Work Day, wrapping up yet another Essential Work Week. Several ways to get involved on the show. If you listen long enough, you know what they are, but I got to say them anyway. Hit me up on Twitter at ESPN Morning Rush or at Rush Tony C. Our Facebook page at Cumberland's ESPN Radio. Like them, follow them, and uh, get involved. Want to ask me a question? If you have an opinion you want to share, you can't call in, just drop me a line. And we'll discuss on the air. Uh, Taking your calls on the rush line, 301-759-2628. Your chance to dial and dance on this funky Friday. Shabo. 301-759-2628. And, of course, our podcast page on the free Podbean app. Well, it's free for you anyway. Not so much for me. But we upload every show every day, minus commercials. We cut it up, clean it up, just for you. So go back and listen to anything that you missed at your listening uh, leisure. All right. Let's kick off today's show as we kick off every show with a rock around the region. And we start with College Hoops, where number 6 West Virginia continued its four-game homestand last night against TCU. They get it to Bridges. He'll try a three. Left side swish. He did it. Jalen Bridges with a three from the far side. Hits for his 22nd point. West Virginia up by 13, 67-54. What a night for Bridges. Tony, I could have edited that better. That was very poor editing. That's my fault. My bad. Not good. Tony Caridi, the call on Learfield IMG College. Career-high 22 points. Career-high 12 rebounds for Jalen Bridges, the Fairmont senior product. As the Mountaineers beat the Horned Frogs 76-67, Derek Culver had 17 points for West Virginia, which can now clinch the number 2 seed in the Big 12 with a win over Oklahoma State tomorrow. 
and girls high school basketball. Petersburg is off to a 1-0 start after a 52-45 win over Kaiser. Uh, Kaiser gets right back to action tonight when they host Berkeley Springs. In other girls' action tonight, uh, Pendleton County is at East Hardy. Tucker County is hosting Notre Dame. And Hampshire is at Frankfurt. Several boys' teams in the Mountain State finally get their season started tonight. Moorefield is at Petersburg. East Hardy is at Pocahontas County. Kaiser is at Berkeley. And Frankfurt starts the season on the road at Hedgesville. In the NBA, the Wizards tripped up the clips in D.C. Feeds Beal. Beal foul on rises. Shoot, scores! Scores! Bradley Beal has 31, his 22nd 30-point game of the season, and the Wizards lead by 4-110-106. The call on Federal News Radio, 33 points for Bradley Beal to lead the Wizards to a 119-117 win over Los Angeles. Russell Westbrook, 27 points, 11 assists. Nine boards for Washington, which goes into the All-Star break, having won eight of 11 games. In the NHL, the Penguins scored three goals in the first four minutes of their game against the Flyers. Three goals in 71 seconds, to be exact. And then they blew it! Now here's Lindblom. Brown, hoping for Giroux. Matheson tied him up. Lindblom gets it back, takes a look around, flips one, hit a defenseman in front, bounces free. They get it in front, they score! Giroux able to get his stick on it, and the Flyers take a 4-3 lead. The call on NBC Sports Philadelphia. You blew it! Four unanswered goals by the Flyers, two by Claude Giroux, including that game winner in the third period as Philly won the game 4-3. Mark Friedman scored his first NHL goal for the Pens, who fall to fifth place in the East Division. Tonight, speaking of the East Division, the Capitals go for their fifth straight win when they take on the Bruins in Boston and in Major League Baseball. Spring training action from yesterday. Eric Gonzalez and Joe Hudson homered as the Pirates beat the Braves 6-1. Orioles beat the Red Sox 6-3. Ramon Urias hit a three-run homer for the O's, and the Nationals lost to the Mets 8-4. to Ryan Zimmerman hit his second homer of the spring for Washington. This afternoon, Pirates are at the Phillies at 105. Orioles are in Dunedin to take on the Blue Jays at 107, and the Nationals host the Cardinals at 605. And that is your very packed Rock Around the Region brought to you by the Caporale Group. Sitting there last night, I get home from practice. And at that point, the Penguins game was 3-1. to one. And I had known what happened. I knew they had already scored the three goals in 71 seconds. Three goals in a minute and 11. They had a 3-0 lead four minutes into the game. When I get home, it's 3-1. to one. My son looks at me and he says, they're going to lose this game. I don't know how he knew. I don't know why he knew. But he knew. He said, they have, they have a <laughs> they said, lead is just too big. He said, they're going to blow this game. Too much time. Sure enough. Sure enough. They're up 3-0 and they lose 4-3. Right after that third goal, 
Philadelphia called a timeout. And in case you don't know, in hockey, you get one timeout per game. That's it. Just one. And they called it there. And I don't know I don't know what happened after that. I don't know what they said in the, in, during the timeout. Didn't pull the goaltender. Didn't panic. And the crazy thing is, right after that timeout, Pens went on a power play. They had a chance to make it 4-0, and they, and they didn't score. Which may have given Philly a bit of momentum because you got you have to figure if they score in that power play and make it four nothing in the first period, it's you know pack it up and go home. But they, they lost the game, and I'm sorry. I know there's a lot of season left, but in this truncated, shortened season, when all you're doing is playing division opponents. You can't lose a game like that. That's an inexcusable loss. You cannot take a 3-0 lead on your pond and blow it. Not when you are fighting. And again, just in case you don't know, because of these, these changes, because of, you know, COVID and stuff, rules changes, schedule changes, and whatnot. There are no wild cards in the NHL this year. It's the top four teams in each division make the playoffs. And going into last night's game, the Flyers and Pens were tied for fourth in the East. They each had 25 points. So here you are with a 3-0 lead at home against the team that you are tied with for the fourth and final playoff spot, and you blow a 3-0 lead. That's inexcusable. They had a chance. They had a chance to move into a tie for third with Boston. Now they are in fifth place. That that that's the worst loss of the season, but by far. And there's something about the Penguins. They are, as I mentioned yesterday on Twitter, they are Charmin soft. And believe me, it takes a lot for me to call hockey players soft because they're some of the toughest SOBs on the planet. But they are super soft in front of their own net. They, go back and watch the highlights and look where the Flyers scored their goals, right in front of the net. They don't move guys out from in front of the net. They don't have great net front presence, as they say. Go watch them. They are soft in front of their own net, in front of their own goaltender. Three of the four goals from the Flyers last night came right right on the doorstep because the Pens just don't know how to either cover the front or move guys away from the front. And that's the game today. That's that's the game of hockey today. You, you get it in, right? You, you go from low to high. You put somebody in front of the net. You screen the goaltender, and you try to score that way. The Flyers did it last night. The Penguins couldn't stop them. Inexcusable loss. And it's just that's you can look. You might. It depends. Don't make the playoffs this year. You can look back at a game like last night and say that's why, because you led them three nothing, and let them score four straight on you. That's pathetic. It's pathetic. So again, instead of being tied with Boston for third, you're now in fifth place. The Flyers are now tied with Boston for third. Now there's a lot of there's a lot of hockey left, don't get me wrong. 
But in a season, call her hold on. In a season where every single point matters, in a season where all you're doing is playing division opponents, you need those points. You, you can't afford to waste points. And the, and the Penguins took two points and flushed them last night by blowing that lead. All right, let's go to the rush line, 301-759-2628. You're up. Who's this? Hey, Tony. It's James. What's up? Hey, uh, first off, uh, everyone out there listening, say a little prayer for my one of my best friends. You got a, I got a call from him last night. He's got cancer. and Well, I'm sorry uh, to hear that. Well, treatment, uh, they said it's treatable, but treatment hasn't been discussed yet, so. Uh, yeah, if you're if you're praying, Pete, we'll go ahead and say a little prayer for him. So we're doing we're doing this game tonight, right. Greenway, or tonight or today or late afternoon, whatever you <laughs> want to call it. Kick off at five. So one of the things that we're going to do at halftime is this date in sports history. All right. And I wanted to share two of the more interesting things that happened on March fifth. Okay. March fifth, nineteen seventy three, New York Yankee pitchers Fritz Peterson. And Mike Kekich announced that they have swapped wives and children. <laughs> I've seen, I've heard that story before. Yeah, and it, it's it's a long, it's a long, twisted deal. And I may have actually talked about that on on the show like last March. But yeah, that's yeah, <laughs> they swapped well, the wives funny, and children. The funny thing is, Fritz Peterson and Mike Kekich's ex are still married, and they said they're. They go out and party every night. And <laughs> I, yeah, like I, I can imagine. It's weird. I can imagine what kind of parties they go to. <laughs> yeah, I didn't want to go there, but yeah, <laughs> use your imagination. So the other neat thing was 90 years ago today, the first radio broadcast of a professional basketball game. Now, really? this was not the NBA. This is the American Basketball League. The old ABL. The old ABL, yeah. 90 and, uh, years ago. Who was it? You know who was in the game? Do you have the teams? Absolutely. The Brooklyn Visitations <laughs> defeated the Fort Wayne Hoosiers 14-10. to 10. That's a barn burner right there, baby. 14-10. ABL catch the fever. Oh, my goodness. And the funny thing is some of these team names from back in the 30s and 40s Kill me. So, Baltimore Orioles. Thought that was neat. The Boston Whirlwinds, Chicago Bruins, the Cleveland Rosenblooms, <laughs> Detroit that, that... Lions, New York Celtics, Ooh. the New the New York Hakuas. <laughs> All right. And I looked into it. They were a predominantly Jewish team. And Hakua means strength in Hebrew. Oh, okay. All right. Interesting. Which I thought was interesting in the 30s and 40s. Right. The Washington Laundrymen, <laughs> the Washington Fab Five, and my personal favorite, the Toledo Redmen Tobaccos. Wow. There's a sponsorship for you. <laughs> Nothing says... <clears throat> Anything like the old days, like uh, the Redmond Tobacco's <laughs> basketball team. Get you some. <laughs> I guess they, play, they played the Chicago mail pouches. <laughs> <laughs> Think about that. How ironic is it that Redman Tobacco is a sponsor for a sports team? Yeah, that's crazy. 
You would never now, see know, that these days. I know you had the Winston Cup Series back in, right. in NASCAR, but right. they're driving cars. They're not running up and down the court. Right, right, right. And plus, well, they, it's no longer the Winston Cup anyway. Right. So, so well, well, now we have the new name for the Washington football team, the Laundryman. The but Laundryman. Yeah, we'll just go with that now. <laughs> your, your, your NFC East champion, Washington Laundryman. <laughs> I just can't. I can't. Who comes up with these names? I don't know. Even back then, I like the Rosenblooms. Was that name after the owner or something like that? Was that a, was yeah? That? Actually, what it was is Rosenblooms Department Store in Cleveland. Was there like you go. A a fixture, and he owned the team and named it after himself. There you go. How about that? Well, I mean, if you if you're going to pour in the money to own a team, you might as well just go ahead and name it after yourself. Yeah, I couldn't do that. You know my last name. I couldn't. That would be ridiculous. Because nobody, nobody would be able to pronounce it if I did that. If I bought a team and used my last name, it'd be like the what, the who, the, the Chamayas. Yeah, good luck, <laughs> good luck, good luck <laughs> putting that on a T-shirt and, and pronouncing it and spelling it. Well, if Daniel Snyder ever finds out that a guy named Rosenblum named his team after himself, then oh, he may do that. The Washington Snyders. Ooh, I could see that. Uh. So, Tony, before you let me go, <laughs> uh-huh. uh huh. Real quick. Kickoff tonight, five o'clock at Greenway Avenue, Allegheny, and Mountain Ridge. That's right. Pre-game at we'll say quarter till five. Yeah, quarter till ten till whatever. When, you know, whenever the next break comes up. But yeah, well, I I I, I, t- I talked to Coach Patterson of Mountain Ridge, and I asked him something that's been thrown around for the last few months. The game that you played in October does that count towards now, or is that a separate season? Well, I never and thought about he that. He said it goes towards this season, so they are zero and one. Huh? I never, I never even thought about that. So that they picked that up where they left to off. Be a record for the longest bye week <laughs> ever by five months. By months. Five months. Jeez. And real quick, Tony. Yeah. I'm looking into spring games. How how long ago has there ever been a game that counted in March? And I found one in California, 1892, wow. the first meeting of Stanford and Cal. Really? March 19th, 1892, and it's, it becomes the big game. Yeah, that's one of the longest-running rivalries in all sports, 1892. Played in March. How about yep, that? that? Year after West Virginia started their program, they weren't known the Mountaineers then. They were called the Snakes. They weren't still a they derogatory. Weren't the, they weren't the Rosenblums made about West Virginians from PA people like yourself. Now look, I would never go on record saying that. <laughs> I looked into it. Their first quarterback. You can't make this stuff up. Gory Hog. <laughs> Gory, Go- not Glory Hog. Gory Hog. Gory Hog. Gory Hog. Nice. And turns out. He became a doctor after he graduated WU and became a friend and constituent of my grandfather's brother, who was also a doctor in Greenbrier County, West Virginia. How about that? And it all comes full circle, doesn't it? It does. So <laughs> there you go. Well, hey, thanks for the call. and Enjoy the uh, the call of the game tonight. We look forward to hearing you and Brandon. We got football in the spring. Go figure. Yep. The first to six. Yep. All right, All right Tony. Have, have a good have one. Have a good one, man. Thanks for the call. 301-759-2628. 301-759-2628. Yeah, it never dawned on me if they'd count that first game in the fall. Uh, it doesn't matter either way, tell you the truth. I, it, it was one game five months ago, or whenever it was. So, all right, so they're one, so well, Mountain Ridge is 1-0. Or, I'm sorry, 0-1. There you go.
Again, that game tonight, uh, a weird kickoff in a weird season, 5 o'clock. And you heard James say it pregame around eh, quarter till, 10 till, whenever the breaks may fall in that hour. So check it out on this very station. All right, time for news and weather. When we come back, we talked about the Penguins. We'll stay in Pittsburgh, and we'll talk about Big Ben coming back and taking a pay cut. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, Cumberland's ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. So, when we listen to both sides talk about it, it only seemed like a matter of time, right, before the Steelers and Ben Roethlisberger worked something out to bring the QB back for another season. And it finally happened yesterday when the Steelers announced they had reached a said agreement. Now, Steelers did not disclose the terms of the deal. However, Adam Schefter reported that the Big Ben was willing to reduce his pay from $19 million to $14 million. Gee, what a sacrifice. <laughs> Look, I know. $5 million is a lot of money. But so is 14. He's willing to reduce his pay from 19 to 14 mil in the final year of his deal and spread the cash payment over uh, 2022. Most importantly, as far as the team is concerned, the move <clears throat> lowers the Steelers' salary cap by more than 15 million bucks, which is huge, especially in the season when the salary cap is lower than usual because of, you know, COVID. With more on the deal, here's ESPN Steelers reporter Brooke Pryor. Ben's 39th birthday was earlier this week, but he's the one giving the Steelers a gift today by accepting this $5 million pay cut. And the Steelers believe that they can still win with Big Ben. That's why they agreed uh, to bring him back. But the key all along has been having enough money to pay Ben and still be able to pay some of these players around him to make this team able to contend for a championship in 2021 and beyond. The $15 million savings is huge in trying to bring back some of these free agents. And one player told me they knew some dominoes were going to have to fall. And this is a big one, but it may not be big enough to bring back a guy like wide receiver Juju Smith-Schuster. He even commented on a teammate's Instagram post about getting a new contract saying, I wish I can get one. And see, that will be the other shoe to drop in this situation. Now that we know that Ben is coming back for a 17th season and the Steelers have a little bit of salary cap wiggle room, who stays and who goes? Juju is a free agent. So is Bud Dupree. So is Mike Hilton. So is, what is it, 14 others, 15 others? Bringing back Roethlisberger does not automatically mean another AFC North title and a trip to the postseason. Big Ben is just one piece of a puzzle that still has a lot of holes in it. Here's Dan Orlovsky. What's next is one fix the offensive line. Gojo, you know what it's like. Villanueva, their left tackle, free agent. Banner, free agent. Pouncey, done. DeCastro's expensive, so... You know, like they they better fix the the offensive line before anything, and that's going to be very difficult. Two, 
what are they going to do on offense? New offensive coordinator, Matt Canada. Like, you can't do the same stuff you did last year. So, like, they got to get a better philosophy. They need to draft a back somewhat early that's, like, a really good player because they need to get their run game going back. And then, you know, what's the plan with Juju? Are they going to let him walk? Are they going to tag him? Is Deontay Johnson going to cure the drops? And so they've got a lot of big moves left to even get back to, like, contending or thinking about getting into the playoffs. The offensive line is the number one priority right now. I would say that it was a priority even before bringing Roethlisberger back. Because I don't care who your quarterback is. You can't block, he can't throw. And I've gone on record, you know how I feel about it, that I believe a team's success or failure starts up front. On both sides of the ball. And the Steelers' offensive front was just not very good last year. They were dead last in the NFL in rushing. And you need a running game, right, to take pressure off and protect a 39-year-old quarterback who can't move anymore. And this, as it just so happens, is a great year to pick up an offensive lineman in the first round of the draft. Steelers have the, what is it? It's in the 20s. I think it's 24th, yeah, 24th overall pick in April. Could get a guy like Jalen Mayfield, who's an offensive tackle from Michigan. He could be there. Landon Dickerson, center from Alabama. He could take the place of the retired Marquise Pouncey. Guy like Rashawn Slater from Northwestern. He is interesting because he is projected as either a high first-round pick or a second-round pick, depending on what a team needs. Some scouts think he's he's too small to play as a tackle in the NFL. He played at tackle at Northwestern. He may have to move to guard or center, which means he could slide down to Pittsburgh if, if teams are in more of a need of offensive tackles and they think he's too small to play at tackle, they're going to pass on him. So if he's sitting there at 24 and the Steelers would feel comfortable moving him from tackle to center, then he could take over for Marquise Pouncey. So there will be options there for the Steelers to take an offensive lineman in the first round. They need to fix that line. Now, I've seen and I've heard more than one person have Alabama running back Najee Harris going to Pittsburgh, which would be a huge mistake. Why? I just told you. The offensive line. You can have Barry Sanders back here. But if you can't block, he can't run. Actually, we saw that with Sanders' career in Detroit, right? They can never block. <laughs> Maybe he could run. I don't know. Drafting, drafting a running back when your offensive line is in shambles is like building a dam with a giant hole in the middle. You know what I mean? It, it just... You got to fix it up front. And it, it's, I guess it's kind of cool. That's not the right word I'm looking for. Like ben took a pay cut to come back. All right. It, it, it helps the team. He's the best option at quarterback right now for the Steelers, better than Mason Rudolph and Dwayne Haskins for sure. But if they can't get better, in some key areas, or, or be able to keep 
some of their key free agents, then it won't matter. It won't matter if Ben came back. Now, they'll get better on defense. Devin Bush, if he comes back healthy, he'll get back there in the middle of that D. If they can somehow keep Mike Hilton, if Bud Dupree walks, you know, Alex Highsmith, he was okay last year. Defense is still going to be pretty decent. But, man, they got to fix the offense. Wow. They got to fix the offense. I don't think James Conner's coming back, and nor should he, because he, he can never stay healthy. You got to fix the O line. You got to make, you know, you got to shore up your receiving core. And the Steelers are a team that simply don't, they don't go out and sign free agents. There's actually a couple of decent uh, free agents on the offensive line out there, but they've never been a team to really, you know, dive into the free agent pool. So I really wouldn't expect them to do it this year. So we'll see uh, what happens. They they gotta they gotta fix some holes and, and let's be clear about something. And uh, Adam Crowley uh, on Twitter, who is the uh, Steelers radio network host, and he also is on ESPN Radio Pittsburgh, says uh, and, and this is true. Before we start giving Roethlisberger too much credit, he says people act like Ben taking a pay cut was some sort of act of altruism. It wasn't. The only way the dude is playing for the Steelers in 2021 is if the number comes way down, and it did. Adam says, I don't think Roethlisberger said, geez, let me take less money to make the team better. I think the Steelers said, you want to be on the team? Take less money. So this wasn't really, (laughs) this wasn't an act of, you know, Big Ben falling on the sword and making this great sacrifice that I'm, I'm going to take a pay cut to really, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take one for the team. It was more or less the Steelers saying, you want to play again, you're going to take his pay cut. If not, you're not playing for us. And Tim Benz, also a, a longtime a, a Pittsburgh personality, he summed it up pretty well. He said that Roethlisberger is eating $5 million bucks to protect 14. And that's it. And like I said, when we first started talking about it, you know, $5 million bucks is, is nothing to sneeze at. That's, that's a... That's a it's a decent chunk of money for you and me to give up, obviously. But he's still making 14. You know, so he's giving up five to make 14. That's still pretty good. And you know, Ben said it, it's his cost of doing business. So the, really the only difference was when you look at the salary cap numbers and what was saved, and everything, it's really it's a matter of a, it's a $4 million difference to have Ben on a team or not. So, it's great to have him back. Again, he's the best option that they have. But let's not act like Roethlisberger took a you know a hometown discount and gave up twenty million bucks. He basically sacrificed four to make fourteen to come back and play. But he's back. But he's back. So if you're a Steelers fan, you, you kind of got to be happy about that. Again, he's the best option. Now, the question is, what are the other options on the offense to make it work? That is the next piece of the puzzle. All right. Another break. When we come back, switch gears to college basketball. Mountaineers. Nice little bounce back win last night. We'll talk about that next. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, Cumberland's ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. Tony Cena, Big Chair. See this uh, tweet from the New York Post. First ever space hotel slated to be operational by 2027. 
That's a hard pass for me, man. There's no way. There's no way I'm getting on a spaceship and going to stay at a hotel in space. You kidding me? Look, I'm not scared of many things, all right? I, a lot of things don't freak me out, you know? I've done the bungee jumping, right? I've hey, I've I've worn a Steelers jersey to a Ravens game. I know what it's like to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, all right? But I'm not staying at no hotel in space. It's mm-mm. <laughs> You think a bottle of water is expensive in a hotel room now? <laughs> Good luck with the space water. Anyway. Nice bounce back win last night for West Virginia, coming off that tough overtime loss to Baylor. And, you know, if you're a Mountaineer fan, it's what you want them to see. Beating a team they should have. Didn't really struggle at all. They had a 16-point lead in the first half. Never They were slightly challenged in the second half, but not much. A nice game for Jalen Bridges, the redshirt freshman, Fairmont senior product, who he seems to be getting better uh, as the season goes on. Right? I mean, my man didn't even score a point in his first four games this season. Didn't even reach double figures till game 10. But then last night, he was one rebound shy of a double-double in the first half. And he eventually had a career-high 22 points, career-high 12 rebounds, led the Mountaineers in both categories. Nice all-around game for the redshirt Frosh. Five for eight from the field, four three-pointers, eight for nine from the foul line. And uh, TCU head coach Jamie Dixon said after the game, quote, somehow we turn Bridges into an All-American each game we play him, end quote. Because the first meeting uh, back on February 23rd, a Mountaineer win, Bridges had nine points, five rebounds, didn't miss a shot in that game. He was four for four uh, from the floor. Derek Culver, nice bounce back game for him. He had 17 points after not hitting a single shot in the loss to Baylor. And look, it was a great defensive effort, too, uh, by West Virginia. TCU had just, what, 18 points at the half? They were just 4 for 22 from the field in the first half. So the win moves the Mountaineers to 18-7 and overall, 11-5 and in the Big 12. More importantly, they now have a chance to wrap up the number 2 seed, in the Big 12 tournament with a win over Oklahoma State tomorrow. And remember in the first meeting, uh, Mountaineers had to come back from 19 down to beat Okie State by three uh, back on January 4th. Now the Cowboys were also in action last night. They lost to Baylor 81-70. to In other Big 12 action, Oklahoma, what happened to the Sooners? They've now lost four straight games. After getting beat by Texas uh, 69-65, Kansas, in a game that meant absolutely nothing, it was a late add-on, so you can, you know, you kind of know why. When they were down by 15 and had to rally to beat UTEP (laughs) 67-62. And uh, Texas Tech had no trouble with Iowa State 81-54. So uh, Big 12 standings right now, Baylor already wrapped up the regular season title. They are 12-1 in conference. West Virginia, Kansas tied for second. And again, 
Since Kansas is done, Mountaineers have a chance to break that tie tomorrow with a win over Oklahoma State. Texas is third, Okie State fourth, Texas Tech fifth, and Oklahoma has fallen all the way down to sixth place in the Big 12. Now, we mentioned that Baylor wrapped up the Big 12 title on uh, Tuesday. Last night, another team was wrapping up a big conference title. For the 15th time, Michigan wins the Big Ten regular season championship, and none of the previous 14 had to go through what this team has endured. They've done it all in this Big Ten, one of the best leagues ever. The Wolverines storm onto the floor. They're going to cut down some nets tonight. They're going to hang a banner as the confetti falls. Michigan clinches a Big Ten regular season crown. Oh, Terry Mills, what an accomplishment. The Michigan Wolverines are your Big Ten champs after a 69-50 win over rival Michigan State. Michigan now has a two-game lead over Illinois with the Illini having just one game left so they can't catch them. Michigan head coach Jawan Howard, who, believe it or not, never won a Big Ten title as a member of the Fab Five. They That group never won a Big Ten championship, but he has one now. It means a lot. It really does. It's gratifying to go out here you know, doing the, you know, what we all have dealt with you know, during this pandemic. Very challenging times, but we didn't make excuses. Uh, we rolled up our sleeves and figured it out along the way. A lot of different things thrown our way, but we didn't make excuses for it. Uh, we continue to keep grinding and grinding. Some say, and I agree, that it's the toughest conference in college basketball, night in and night out. You know, we always going to get every team's best just like they're going to get our best. Yeah, I was kind of shocked to find that out. The Fab Five went to two Final Fours, but somehow never won a Big Ten championship. <laughs> you figure it out. On the flip side, Michigan State is, and look, they are – venturing into rare territory. Sparty is now guaranteed his first losing record in the Big Ten since 1993. That's even before Tom Izzo got there to be head coach. And their NCAA tournament hopes have taken a hit now after losing two of their last three. Remember, they lost to Maryland last Sunday. And then they lose again last night. They have just one game left. Again, it's against Michigan tomorrow in East Lansing. And you have to you have to wonder. I know it's a rivalry game. It's Michigan, Michigan State. You have to wonder how much Michigan is going to be invested in tomorrow's game. All right? They beat him last night. They have the Big Ten title wrapped up. You know they're going to be a number one seed in the NCAA tournament. And you have to kind of wonder if they're really going to give, you know, half a rat's you know what in tomorrow's game. So maybe Michigan State catches a break with the Wolverines maybe taking a break. Maybe Juwan Howard chooses to, you know, ease off a little bit, not for Michigan State's sake, but just for his own team's sake. Because now they got to get ready. They'll be the number one seed in the Big Ten tournament. And so maybe you kind of go in tomorrow with an attitude like, eh, eh, we'll we'll, we'll play some ball, but we're just not going to, you know, Maybe at halftime, start getting some other subs in and and some reserves in and kind of just take it easy and get geared up for the Big Ten tournament. Who knows? 
It's not a must-win for Michigan State tomorrow because Joe Lunardi still has them in the field of 68, but it's close. And we'll get to that next because uh, good old Joey Brackets, he was good enough to update his uh, bracket projections last night. Usually, we have to wait until this afternoon for his new projections. But after last night's action, uh, Joe, he uh, updated them. So we'll talk about that next hour. Also next hour, we'll hear from Hampshire girls basketball coach uh, Julianne Buckley as they open the season tonight at Frankfurt. And we'll have our Rush Friday feature next hour as Joe Shuda talks some hockey, some pucks, with former Pittsburgh Penguin Rod Buskus. So all that and more coming up in hour number two. So stick around for that. Also taking your calls on the Rush Line. 301-759-2628. 301-759-2628. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, Cumberland's ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. Kind of forgot we were doing a show here. <laughs> I was kicked kick back looking at Twitter during the break, and I was like, oh, crap, we got a second hour coming up. Better, uh... Better start talking. Hour number two of the Morning Rush underway. Here on this funky Friday, brought to you by Thomas Cumberland, where the experience is all about you, Tony C. in the big chair, live from the palatial ESPN studio on the south side of the Queen City, baby. Reminder, get involved on the show. Hit me up on Twitter at ESPN Morning Rush. Or at Rush Tony C, Facebook at Cumberland's ESPN Radio. Taking your calls on the Rush Line, 301 759 2628. Your chance to dial and dance on this funky Friday. Shamo. 301 759 2628. And our podcast page on the free Podbean app. If you missed the first hour of the show, we talked Big Ben. We talked Penguins blown a terrible lead last night. We talked West Virginia, good bounce back win. So if we can go back and listen to it, check it out, our podcast page on the free uh, Podbean app. Speaking of the Penguins and other things that went down uh, yesterday and last night, let's rock around the region. I want to rock right now. And we start with college hoops where, as we mentioned, number six West Virginia continued It's four-game homestand last night against TCU. They get it to Bridges. He'll try a three. Left side swish. He did it. Jalen Bridges with a three from the far side. Hits for his 22nd point. West Virginia up by 13, 67-54. What a night for Bridges. Tony Caridi, the call, the uh, terribly edited call on Learfield IMG College. Career-high 22 points. Career-high 12 rebounds for Jalen Bridges. As the Mountaineers beat the Horned Frogs 76-67, Derek Culver had 17 points for West Virginia, which can now clinch the number two seed in the Big 12 with a win over Oklahoma State tomorrow. In the NBA, the Wizards tripped up the Clips in D.C. Feeds Beal. Beal foul on rises. Shoot, scores! Scores! Bradley Beal has 31, his 22nd, 30-point game of the season, and the Wizards lead by 4-110-106. The call on Federal News Radio, 33 points for Bradley Beal to lead the Wizards to a 119-117 win over the Clippers, who were without uh, Paul George. He was a late scratch 
Russell Westbrook, one rebound shy of another triple-double, 27 points, 11 assists, nine boards for Washington, which goes into the All-Star break, having won eight of 11 games. In the NHL, the Penguins scored three goals in the first four minutes of their game against the Flyers, three goals in 71 seconds to be exact, and they blew it. Uh, Here's Lindblom. Brown, open for Giroux. Matheson tied him up. Lindblom gets it back, takes a look around, flips one, hit a defenseman in front, bounces free. They get it in front, they score! Giroux able to get his stick on it, and the Flyers take a 4-3 lead. You blew it! The call on NBC Sports Philadelphia, four unanswered goals by the Flyers, two by Claude Giroux, including that game winner in the third period as Philly won the game 4-3. Mark Friedman scored his first NHL goal for the Pens, who uh, fell to fifth place in the East Division. Speaking of the East Division, tonight the Capitals go for their fifth straight win when they take on the Bruins in Boston. In Major League Baseball, spring training action yesterday, the Eric Gonzalez, I just, I just, I just call him the Eric Gonzalez. <laughs> the Eric Gonzalez and the Joe Hudson homered as the Pirates beat the Braves 6-1. Orioles beat the Red Sox 6-3. Ramon Urias hit a three-run homer for the O's, and the Nationals lost to the Mets 8-4. Ryan Zimmerman, his second homer of the spring for Washington. This afternoon, Pirates are at the Phillies at 105. The Orioles at the Blue Jays at 107. Again, I don't know what that two minutes means, 105-107. And the Nationals host the Cardinals at 605. In girls' high school basketball, Petersburg is off to a 1-0 start. After a 52-45 win over Kaiser, the Golden Tornado right back to action tonight against Berkeley Springs. In other girls' action tonight, Pendleton County is at East Hardy, Tucker County is hosting Notre Dame, and Hampshire is at Frankfurt. Now several boys' teams in the Mountain State get their season started tonight. Moorfield is at Petersburg, East Hardy is at Pocahontas County, Kaiser at Berkeley Springs, and Frankfurt starts the season on the road at Hedgesville. And that is your jam-packed Rock Around the Region brought to you by the Cap Rally Group. Now, as I just mentioned, the Hampshire girls on the road tonight to take on Frankfurt. Frankfurt coming off that win, that season opening win Wednesday against Spring Mills. Hampshire, because I remember coming in here yesterday and trying to find the scores for the updates and stuff. I could not find the score for Hampshire and Berkeley Springs. Because they were supposed to open the season Wednesday. Couldn't find it. Didn't know what happened. Then I find out that a game never happened. So that's why. For some reason, that girls game was canceled, postponed. I'm not sure which. So Hampshire girls will open the season tonight at Frankfurt. And Brian Chase, the morning show host for our sister station, 100.1 The Wolf, he talked with Hampshire head coach Julianne Buckley about the start of the season, what to expect from the team, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So Brian was good enough to share the audio with us. So here is Brian Chase from our sister station, 100.1 The Wolf, with Hampshire girls basketball coach Julianne Buckley. On the line, ladies and gentlemen, we have the head basketball coach of the Hampshire lady Trojan basketball team, Julianne Buckley. And Julianne, is this your sixth or seventh year? I, I'm losing track of time here. How long have you been there? Uh, this is my seventh year. 
the last time I spoke to you, I think it was after you guys just defeated Fort Hill, if I remember correctly. It was last February. The world has changed dramatically. A lot has happened, and it looks like you have about 18 games between now and April 10th. That is a lot of games. How do you how do you prepare for that many games? Well, as a coaching staff, we've kind of asked ourselves that question every day. You know, the girls got a three-month layover. Ultimately, it was really hard for anybody to get into a gym, regardless of the type of physical shape they were in. You know, they missed out on a lot of basketball. you got to worry about injuries. It's been interesting, to say the least. We're very blessed to get started, and I'm glad my seniors are going to get a season, and we just continue to pray that we'll get to finish out those 18 games and without any injuries, God willing. You mentioned your seniors. Uh, Gracie Fields is one of your seniors, I believe, and also, Keaton, the big player in the middle. You have four seniors this year. How has the uh, senior leadership helped you out getting ready for the season? My seniors are great. This group of girls, that you know, they're real laid back, but they also, you know, they really care as well. I had to make the call to them, you know, that we had to, you know, you know we had to shut down. Obviously, you know, everybody was really upset, and there were some tears shed, but, you know, we just kept the faith, and they kept the faith for the younger girls, and here we are. We're getting to start. They missed out on a lot. You know, we're just hoping to get off to a great start. And I keep telling my girls, we got to play for them. And they're all healthy. Gracie's in phenomenal shape. Ellen's doing well. Laney's doing well. Jaden's doing well. We're starting to get together as a team and start to play as one. These girls didn't have much time together. You know, we just got to take it day by day. And I think that's what everybody's having to do. We don't feel alone, but it's it's been crazy to say the least. Now, I've talked to several coaches, and we all say the same thing. We're glad to be playing. You know, we all have the same worries and fears and, you know, questions about what the, what's the future going to bring, what we're going to look like. We're going to make the best of it. Talking to Hampshire girls basketball coach Julianne Buckley, what things do you have to do differently with the COVID protocols in place? Yeah, each girl, you know, they have to stay masked unless we're doing a high aerobic activity. So they, you know, they keep their mask on. We take temperatures. They fill out a questionnaire form every day. Anytime they're on the sidelines or not, you know, involved in the drill, they have to have their mask back on. We can't really come into a huddle. When we do, the girls have to space out and immediately go, you know, run and get their mask back on. And I've heard it's going to be pretty similar for games. You know, the girls on the benches will have to wear masks. Temperature checks. There's a lot of protocols in place, but we're doing them because we want to stay playing. Talking to Julianne Buckley, Hampshire girls basketball coach, head coach. Last year, you guys, for lack of a better phrase, seemed to be a little bit of a shoot first team. You like to you like to shoot first and ask questions later, as I like to say. Uh, you like to shoot really quick in the possession. What does your team look like this year? Do you think they're a little bit more patient? Is it going to be a slower offense, or is it going to be kind of up tempo like last year? To be honest, I think we're going to be a good mixture of both. We have got a lot of guards this year. A lot of quick guards that can handle the ball, that can really get out and run. We have a good shooting team, pretty solid in every area. I feel confident in our talent. It's just a matter of putting it together. We're still going to look to press. We're still going to look to transition. But we're also working on slowing down our offense as well. We've been stressing defense and being a little more patient with our offense. We're hoping that we'll be a little mixture of both. You can't predict your offense. You know, what's going to fall for you, what's not, but you can always control your defense. It's all about effort and heart. We really stress defense, and I've got some great defenders. Hannah Alt, she's only a sophomore. You know, I foresee her giving a lot of guards some trouble. Lainey Salon, Jade Judy, Gracie Field to step up her defensive game tremendously. We're pretty solid this year as far as defense is concerned. 
pressing seems to be our strong point so far, and defense seems to be a strong point for us. And then we're going to focus on slowing our offense down a little bit when we don't get those transition buckets. Chatting with Hampshire girls basketball coach Julianne Buckley in her seventh season. Coach Julianne, let us know what's going on. It's Hampshire Trojans girls basketball on Facebook. We realize everybody can't attend the games this year. So, Coach, let us know what's going on. Absolutely. You know, we'll do our best to keep everybody updated. We do have a new gaming system that is mounted in our, on our gym wall that will follow the ball, follow the game at live time so people can subscribe and watch any game. And we've also opened up our home facility to 25% capacity. So after player parents and cheer parents and students get their tickets, whatever's left over gets opened up to the general public 24 hours before the start of the home game. And that's good to know, 25% capacity, so we'll let folks know about that. And, Coach, uh, remain safe, and uh, we'll talk to you really soon. Good luck. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. So there you go, Hampshire girls coach uh, Julianne Buckley with uh, Brian Chase on our sister station, 100.1 The Wolf. Trojans opening up the season tonight uh, in short gap. Now, they were talking about the attendance, the 25, the uh, 25%. That's for Hampshire home games. I do believe it's a little bit different in short gap. At Frankfurt, I, th- I still think I could be wrong, but I'm fairly certain it's still only parents, grandparents, and immediate household members in Mineral County. I have to double check on that. So just don't go flying to the games thinking it's 25% capacity. I'll double check. Uh, I also mentioned the Frankfurt boys are on the road tonight, opening up the season at Hedgesville and trying to find out some stuff about Hedgesville. Uh, you want to talk about a team that is in a rebuild. The Eagles were 20 and 5 last year, right? 20 and 5. Qualified for the state tournament for the first time in in several years. Of course, didn't get to play because everything was shut down before the boys could even go to Charleston. Hedgesville graduated eight seniors from last year's team. Oh, look, it's high school hoops, right? There's there's always turnover. Well, heck, I mean, Frankfurt, we lost, I think, six seniors from last year from a team that was pretty darn good. But Hedgesville graduated eight seniors from last year's 20-5 and team, lost their top five scorers. So they are the epitome, the definition of in a rebuild because they have no seniors. Right? It is very rare. It is extremely rare for a team – to go into a season with no seniors on the roster. And they did have a couple juniors last year. I don't know what happened to them. I don't know if they chose to not come out or they're concentrating on baseball or they went to other schools. I have no idea. But looking at the Hedgesville roster, they have two juniors. That's it. Two juniors, no seniors, all the rest sophomores and freshmen. And you know what? They'll they'll still be competitive. Hedgesville, it's a big school. They got great athletes down there. They'll still be competitive. But it is just, again, very rare when you see a team go into a season with no senior leadership. So we'll see what happens. I'm just happy to be sitting here talking about it. Right? I'm just happy to be sitting here talking about high school hoops again. And yeah, it is, it's a pain in the butt. As, as, as a guy who has to take the kids' temperatures every single day before practice or a game, it's a pain in the butt. 
but it's necessary, right? All these protocols, they're a pain in the butt. Having to sit there on the school bus for an hour plus with your mask on the entire time, it's a pain in the butt. It's aggravating. It's annoying. But it's necessary. And you have to be willing to do what you have to do in order to play, right? You have to. Because you don't want another season to go down the drain like last season, right? I mean, this, and again, we're getting on the, I don't know the exact date. I'll have to go back and look. We are approaching the one-year anniversary of this whole thing, right? I can't remember exactly when the state tournaments were shut down in Maryland and West Virginia, but we're, we're, we're at a year, the year mark. And you would really hate to see another season go down the tubes. So you got to do what you got to do. Protocols are in place. You follow them, and hopefully we can get through a season, get through the playoffs, and, you know, get teams down to Charleston and actually finish a season. Don't forget tonight we're starting – are we starting a season or are we resuming a season? Because there's high school football in Allegheny County. Mountain Ridge, Allegheny, Fort Hill playing kind of a a round-robin deal playing each team twice, so they have each team has four games. Tonight's first game, Mountain Ridge at Allegheny. We'll have the game right here. It's a 5 o'clock kick. Pre-game about quarter till. And James Lohr, who's going to call the game tonight, he called in the first hour, and he was talking to Mountain Ridge head coach Ryan Patterson because, remember, they played the game in the fall. They played one game in the fall before everything was shut down again. And Coach said, yeah, that game counts. So technically, even though there was a five-month layoff, technically the Miners are 0-1 going (laughs) going into tonight's game. It doesn't matter. But it never dawned on me that they were just going to pick up and keep the record from... So I guess when it's all said and done... Uh, Mountain Ridge and, and Fort Hill will have like three games each, right? Because they played, I don't know. I don't know. It's hard to keep track of this stuff anymore. But it's good to have high school hoops back. Got some high school football back. Spring football, if you will. And don't forget, next week, uh, Frostburg State football is getting back to action. They're starting off a, a, a truncated five-game spring season. And then they'll, they're going to have playoffs. Playoffs? Talk about Playoffs? And the Bobcats are picked to finish second in the uh, Mountain East Conference in this real short five-game season. They're hosting uh, who they have next week. Oh, shoot. I should know this. Alderson Broadus. They're hosting Alderson Broadus. It's a Thursday game at 7 o'clock. So we're getting some local stuff back. College or high school hoops. College football. High school football in March. Why not? <laughs> In this most screwed up year, why not? All right, news and weather coming up. Then our Rush Friday feature around the corner with Joe Shuda. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, Cumberland's ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. Time now for another Rush Friday feature. My main man, Joe Shuda. Check out all his stuff on his website, 2MinuteTO.com. That's the number 2, MinuteTO.com. 
And we didn't have one last Friday because I wasn't here last Friday. So we just carried over this one to this Friday. So here is today's Rush Friday feature, some hockey talk. As Joe catches up with former Penguin, Rod Buskus. My guest on the Rush Friday feature had an 11-year NHL career, eight with the Penguins. He's a captain for Hawaiian Airlines, and he joins us from Las Vegas. Rod Buskus, okay, now you were born in Canada, you're in Las Vegas now, and then you were in Hawaii. Well, you don't like snow anymore? Uh, good morning, Joe. Uh, no, I do not, actually. I've got I've softened up a lot from growing up on the prairies in Canada, where it was minus 30. So uh, I like to hang in a, in a milder climate right now. Do you ever go back and visit? Oh, yes. My parents are still up there, and my relatives. And uh, normally I get up there, but in today's pandemic times, it's hard to get to Canada these days because they make you quarantine for 14 days. So I was fortunate to get up there in November because they relaxed the rules a bit. But now they've gone back to a 14-day quarantine. So I'm staying put between, uh, mostly between Vegas and Hawaii. Well, speaking of that, about a year ago, we spoke. Of course, we obviously had no idea as to what was going to happen. And we fast forward to today. And how do you think that the NHL handled the fact they suspended the season on March the 12th last year? The whole situation with the playoff format and whatever. How do you think they dealt with it? I'm sure a bit of a nightmare for them because it was such a process to get that playoff underway and safely and setting up the bubbles and as everybody knows. So I don't think that they could have done a better job. Honestly, uh, they did as good as they could have under the circumstances. Getting the season off the way they've handled some of the teams that have had issues with COVID, it's all worked for them so far, which is great. The only thing that I don't really like is that the teams are playing so much between themselves. I know they tried to create a rivalry and safety in that, but I miss the Penguins coming to Vegas or whatever, just different teams playing each other. But I know they had to do that because of the situation. and It's just great that they can finish the season, hopefully, and then next year will be more normal. The league claims they lost a billion dollars last year. And How do you think hockey will be affected, especially salary-wise? It's going to take its toll. I don't know. That's a good question. You know, um, teams are very money conscious now with what's going on. I mean, I don't know how they can do it personally. There's no fans in almost all the buildings. Hopefully they can get fans back here in March. Uh, they're talking about that possibly here in Vegas. They're going to try to get, you know, maybe 25% at some of these buildings. But it's going to change things a bit. You know, coaches have more security now. <laughs> You know, before they'd fire coaches, if they got off to a bad start, uh, these days, uh, I've been told, too, that, you know, they're going to think twice before they fire coaches just from a money standpoint. So it'll have its toll, I think, down the road. Rod Buskus joins us, former Penguin, 11-year NHL career. Fans have not been attending games, as you said. Is that a problem down the road because out of sight, out of mind? Let's face it, it's a lot easier to sit at home, watch games on TV, a lot more convenient, a lot cheaper. Is that something that all sports are going to have to be really careful about? Are fans going to come back? Obviously, the hardcore fans will, but a lot of people just may not. Uh, that's a possibility, but I just think that the sport is so strong in in most all markets. You know, they might have the NHL might have a few, maybe three markets that are weaker, obviously. But everybody was making money; it was thriving before the pandemic. I think that people are itching to get out, just like travel. I mean, they're itching to travel because they've been stuck up in their house or whatever. So I think once uh, they're able to uh, open the gates to a capacity building, I think they're still going to be there. And now they might make some adjustments on pricing. I don't know. But I think fans are going to be there always in, in hockey. 
Major League Baseball proposed cutting back from 162 games to 154. The union didn't go for that. Hockey this year has a 56-game schedule. And many times less is better because you have such a long season. Is that maybe the future down the road? I don't think so because I think that um, it's shorter because of the condensed season. As long as you can have a normal season, they will stick to their 80-game, 84-game season. And I think they have to to create revenue for the owners, for the players, for everything, right? So they want to get back to that normal time frame from October to May or October to April, regular season, then the playoffs, uh, and have an 80-84 game schedule I think is ideal for them and, and try and keep everything like it was. You had season tickets to the Las Vegas franchise. What happened with that? How does that work out now? Uh, Well, I I was actually quite lucky because I just had a three-year commitment. So my season tickets ended at the end of last year. So I don't have have them anymore. It turned out quite good after what's going on this year. But people that have them, you know, they they just, uh, their deposits were maintained or I think the team maybe gave their deposits back. But uh, that's where that is. And I... There's still a waiting list here in Vegas, I know, for season tickets. So and I, I think it'll stay strong. It seems like a lot of young people, especially in this area, have latched on to hockey. More kids are playing hockey, following hockey, especially because of the Penguins. What do you think the NHL has been doing right that's been attracting younger fans, whereas a game like baseball, which attracts an older audience, has seen declining attendance? Uh, I, I think the... You know, they've just improved their marketing the NHL in all aspects of it. I know here in Vegas, if you go to a game, it's it's entertainment for the whole family. They make entertainment stuff for kids, for everybody. It's not just the game involved. And I know all NHL teams are really promoting their learn-to-play program, like the Junior Penguins out here, the Junior Golden Knights. The NHL pumps a lot of money into that to help promote youth hockey, which helps promote interest in the city. And they do this for every team in NHL. I know that. And it starts from the ground up, and that's what they've done. That didn't happen back when I played. I mean, it wasn't like that. But, you know, now the NHL, they've all got more money. They're, they're pumping money into all these uh, cities and teams to help promote the game. In Pittsburgh, we've seen a change now. Ron Hextel is a new GM. I've read all kinds of stories and seen videos about him. Sort of a different guy, isn't he? Hexy was a great competitor. You know, obviously, you know, we hated the Flyers. The Flyers hated us. But now he's part of the Penguins, so that's probably a good thing. But a real competitor, well-respected as a player, obviously. But imagine, you know, he was in L.A. for a while, GM of the Flyers, and he's always been in the game forever. So I think it was a great choice. Um, I think he's going to do good there. And sometimes, you know, change is good. Just a, you got to change things up. I know Jim Rutherford did a great job there, but... Uh, time to step away for whatever reasons, and um, now it's, it's Ron Hextel and uh, Brian Burke show. And what about Brian Burke? Sort of a different type personality, also. I had Burke. He was my assistant GM in Vancouver. I had a short stint in Vancouver. Pat Quinn was the GM. Burke was the assistant GM, and uh, just a great guy. Sense of humor is, is, is hilarious. I mean, I have a Canadian dish here, and I would watch TSN. Just to watch him, he was so entertaining because that's what he was doing before he got hired by the Penguins. So good guy and experience beyond years. I mean, uh, he's he's been in the game forever, all kinds of positions. So very knowledgeable. I think just another great guy to have there with the Penguins, uh, part of the uh, management staff. We are joined by Rod Buskus, 11-year NHL career. After you left hockey, you then played at Las Vegas. And what was that about? You just couldn't get away from the game or why did you do that? 
I don't know. I, GM Bob Strum called me to come here, and I uh, wasn't sure what I was, what I was going to do. It was the end of my career. I was up in Montana, so come down to Vegas and spend a, a year play here. And I knew a lot of the players were like me, end of their careers. So I came here really for just one year, uh, and that was 1993. So if I do the math, it's been a number of years. So we ended up liking it here, and we stayed. So here we are, 2021 now, still in Vegas. One of the difficulties of researching any information on the Internet is a lot of times it's fake news. And looking up information on you, you see a pilot for Hawaiian Airlines and you think, wow, really? Explain how that happened and what you're doing currently. Uh, I just got into flying in the off-season. Actually, I was playing in Pittsburgh uh, in 87 and uh, went back to Medicine Hat, Alberta. And my brother-in-law and I decided to take our private license just for something to do in the off-season. And um, got my private license, and it just led to pursuing commercial law changing and so on, and just pursued it because I kind of got a passion for it, like hockey, and I decided it was what I was going to do after my playing days were over. So that's how it started. I just went through the ranks of flying, kind of like hockey. Now I am with Hawaiian Airlines. Been there for uh, 19, 20 years, based in Honolulu. How has the pandemic affected the whole situation with flying, especially going to Hawaii? Uh, Hawaii basically shut down for a number of months. It was very quiet. They picked up. Things have picked up now. It's, we've increased our flying. We're doing direct flights down to JFK, Boston, and all up and down the West Coast here. And the problem is Japan is still shut down. Australia and New Zealand, where we fly to, is shut down. So, But we're probably up to 50 to 75% of our flying market. So uh, it's going to take some time. But, you know, the airlines have survived. Hawaii will survive and, uh, and uh, continue. It's just going to take a little, little time. I have some flying questions from a friend, and it makes me sound like I know something about flying, but obviously I'll give him credit for it. Here's our first question. Have you ever encountered a drone while flying, and what danger are drones? Yes, we've encountered drones, and actually we get reports if drones are seen or found or reported. But usually we're well above them. Obviously, planes I fly, but if you're coming in on landing or taking off, it's where they could affect you. You don't want to hit something like that. Or They are out there, and we are aware of it. What's your favorite airplane to fly? Uh, probably the plane I'm on right now is, because I've been on it for a long time, Airbus uh, A330. And that holds how many passengers? 300. How about flying recreationally? Do you do that occasionally? Oh, yes, I do. My son's flying. He's getting all his ratings, so I fly with him. And I never flew general aviation or recreationally for 15 years. And now I got back into it. I'm having a blast with it. So that's what I'm doing. Probably favorite single-engine airplane would be a Cessna 182. One of the things, of course, with small airplanes, you hear about accidents. And what's one of the major factors behind that? Is it lack of experience with pilots or just making some poor decisions weather-wise? Weather, pilot error. Spot on. You, you hit everything there pretty much. Rarely is it mechanically. It can be. But a lot of these issues are weather-related. Someone getting themselves caught in bad weather that isn't instrument-rated or just uh, inexperienced. You know, or lack of flying hasn't flown in a while. So is there a yeah. minimum amount of time you would recommend that individuals try to fly on a regular basis, no different than exercise or doing anything else? You've got to keep up with it. What about with flying? Oh, for sure. Uh, it depends where you're at in flying, but, I mean, you should be flying uh, if you're a private pilot weekly. Um, I mean, some people may not fly for a month or two or longer and then go fly. The good thing, the FAA has rules where you have to get biannual flight reviews and so on every once in a while to keep your skills up and so on. But that to me isn't quite enough. You still have to do more than that. 
What about flying through a thunderstorm? <laughs> avoid it. Don't do it. That's what we're taught. As simple as that. Just avoid it. You've certainly had occasional experiences with that, haven't you? Oh, yeah. And there's sometimes where it's hard to avoid it, but you do a 180 to get out of it, or you try and change altitudes and things like that. But, yeah, if there's thunderstorms, you should avoid that stuff by 20 miles. And our final question is, uh, what's your favorite airport to land at? Las Vegas, McCarran, because it means I'm home. All the places I go worldwide or wherever I go, I mean, it's fun to go, but after you see everything, you see a lot of stuff. And when I land at McCarran, it means I'm home, and, and there's nothing like being home when days off. By the way, people always think of Vegas, and they want to ask the question is, you know, how much do you gamble in the clubs and whatever? But, I mean, there are people that actually live and don't go down to the Strip on a regular basis, right? Oh, yeah. Like, I've, you know, I, I'm 15 minutes to the Strip, but I just avoid all that stuff now. I used to go down there. I, I still go down there for fun, or I've got people in town for dinner and stuff like that. But as far as gambling and stuff like that, no, I... I think if you, if you live here, it's it's best to stay away from that. Your odds are worse if you live here. You can come in for a long weekend and get lucky and, and do well, but I think if you're living here, it's, it's best to stay away from the uh, gambling part of it. Well, let's end things up here with a uh, funny hockey story. Well, you always hit me up with this, Joe, and you know, it's been a, long, a lot of years, so some of my stories are getting uh, forgetful or whatever, but this one stands out, you know, one of my favorite places to play always was Madison Square Garden in New York City because of the history and everything else. And and uh, the fans were pretty crazy there, which always got, you know, visiting teams fired up. But this one game we went in there, it must have been a full moon or something uh, because the fans were uh, were real crazy. Uh, getting around in warm-up, we had batteries thrown at us. Literally, it was a playoff game, and small batteries were being thrown at us. So that was how it started. And then, as the game went on, I remember late in the third period, there was a disputed goal, or someone also, I think, gave Mario a cheap shot, So, uh, which resulted in kind of a bit of a brawl melee. So anyway, after the game, security comes up and goes, we can't let you guys out of the building without getting cabs up here. So the ice surface is actually on the fifth floor. So they had to send like eight to ten cabs up this circular driveway to get us in the cabs, three guys per cab, and leave the Mazel Square Garden. And when we're leaving, there's a couple hundred, three hundred fans out there kicking on the cabs and banging on the glass. It was pretty crazy. Uh, that's how we left Mazel Square Garden that, that day. So um, that's just a story that kind of stands out. Uh, you know, I, I think in today's game, things have changed where you know, the players are more secured. I know in Vegas here, I see teams pull up with two big buses and they leave with two big buses and so on. We used to just walk to the rink and walk back kind of thing. So anyway, that's what happened in New York and uh, just just a great memory. And, you know, and most of the time the fans are outstanding, but I remember walking in, you know, a lot of fans, they want your autograph and some fans were just heckling you, right? I mean, but that's that was how it was, you know, back then. <laughs> What's the future for you? What do you see yourself doing down the road here, three, five years or so? I think I'll continue to fly for exactly that time frame. The next three to five years, I'll continue to fly. I still like it. I still like to travel. I still like Hawaii. I'm there quite a bit. Uh, after that, I'll be spending probably most of my time between Vegas here and up in Montana. I go up there uh, just south of the Canadian border, I, and my family's up in Alberta, across the border. So uh, probably six months roughly between uh, Vegas and Montana. 
Thanks for joining us once again, and I'm really glad you haven't blocked my phone calls. When you see the area code, you know that about once a year we talk about hockey and flying. Well, thanks, Joe. I appreciate the uh, the talk, and, and I, I'm glad that someone still remembers me back there. It's you, so I uh, always, always enjoy talking to you. My favorite line is, did you used to be Rod Buskus? <laughs> yeah, really. Hey, thanks yeah. for joining us once again. Okay, Joe. This is the Morning Rush. All right, uh, time to take a look at the player who delivered last night, brought to you by All Seasons Landscaping and Supply Yard. We'll stay with hockey. How about the Rangers' Chris Kreider? The left winger scored a natural hattie. In case you don't know, a natural hat trick is three consecutive goals in a game scored by the same player. He had a natural hattie and a New York 6-1 win over the Devils. It was his second hat trick in five games and fourth of his career. Chris Kreider, the player who delivered, brought to you by All Seasons Landscaping and Supply Yard. All right, so we talked about this yesterday. Uh, Creighton head coach Greg McDermott under fire for using very insensitive language during a, a locker room talk with his team last weekend. And trying to get his team to stick together, McDermott said, quote, I need everybody to stay on the plantation. I can't have anybody leave the plantation, end quote. That, as you would expect, caught a lot of attention. He had a long meeting with the team the next day. He went to the school and offered to resign. And I told you yesterday, I didn't think he should be fired. But the school had to do something. And it did. Uh, Creighton has suspended McDermott from all team activities, and he will not coach tomorrow when the Blue Jays host Butler. Creighton AD Bruce Rasmussen said in a statement that McDermott's comments were not, quote, in alignment with Creighton's commitment to racial equality, diversity, and respect, end quote. Rasmussen also said that further sanctions are being considered. After the school's announcement, McDermott took to Twitter saying, quote, I made a mistake and I own it. Mistakes have consequences and I accept and I agree with the suspension, end quote. ESPN college basketball analyst Dalen Cuff said Creighton made the right call. I think in our society, we kind of have in everything there's he needs to be fired or it's not a big deal at all. The truth is always somewhere in the middle. And there had to be accountability for this issue. You can't sit there and put these players in that situation. And I've been in that situation where a coach maybe says or does something that you don't think is okay at that time. You have no recourse. So you're going to put in this role where he is the person in power and the players are subservient to him. You're going to use the word plantation with primarily black players in your team to play in that game, on that team. You put them in that situation, nothing they can do, and how they feel, how they react. Obviously, because how they released that first statement from McDermott, the school, and Terrence Renter, the assistant, was important for him to say yeah. he's never seen any racist energy. It's important for a black coach to say that and say how hard for these words are, too, to make sure that's, that's very clear, that this team clearly brought this up from Saturday to Tuesday. There was a discussion that got to that point. It's not resolved. It's not okay. There has to be some sort of accountability. has to be repercussions. So I'm glad the university went to this step. Freddie Coleman says in this day and age... McDermott should be thankful to still have a job. And he has a message for those who want to turn their backs on Creighton for keeping the coach around. The fact that Greg McDermott still has a job, you should be very thankful that 
he has enough basketball players and university support to not run him out of the door in what has become known as cancel culture here in the 21st century in 2021. Because there have been plenty of people that have been run out of jobs for saying a lot less than what Greg McDermott said. I believe he's a stand-up guy. He had a slip of the tongue that it should never have ever happened. But he's not a perfect human being. And he owned it. He didn't run away from it. He didn't try to say anything. He even went to his team to say, if you want me to resign, I will. And the team said, uh-uh, we don't like what you said. We don't appreciate what you said. But you know what? We still want to play for you. If that allows you to not want to be a season ticket holder creating basketball, good bleeping riddance then. There you go. If you can't support the school's decision, bye bye And it's the right decision. All right? A lot of people say dumb things and do dumb things. We can't strap all of them to a rocket and shoot them to the sun. Anytime somebody does something dumb, they measured what happened, and I guess they shouldn't be, he shouldn't have been fired. He shouldn't have been fired. The suspension is the right call, and that and that's that. And then now we see where it plays out from here. Real quick, Joe Lenardi was good enough to update his NCAA projections after last night's action. Usually, we have to wait until this afternoon to get Joey Brackett's projections. He still has Michigan State as one of the last four teams getting in, even though they've lost two of their last three. So Sparty, Drake, Xavier, and Boise State are the last four teams in, according to Joe Lenardi. Teams getting the last four buys, Louisville, Rutgers, Georgia Tech, and VCU. Teams that Lunardi has on the outside looking in right now, heading into the final weekend of the regular season. First four out. Seton Hall, Utah State, St. Louis, and Duke. Duke, big game against North Carolina tomorrow. The next four out, Syracuse, SMU, Memphis, and Ole Miss. Now, the number one seeds he has from earlier this week, same. They're the same. They didn't change. Gonzaga, Baylor, Michigan, and Illinois. The first three are absolute locks to get in. They're absolute locks to get number one seeds, that is. Illinois may be the only one that could stumble and fall to the two-line. Speaking of the two-line, your number two seeds right now, according to Lenardi, Houston, Ohio State, Iowa, and Alabama. Lunardi still has West Virginia as a three-seed in Region 1 which would put them with Gonzaga and Houston. Villanova, Arkansas, Florida State, the other three seeds. And on the four line, three Big 12 teams are projected as four seeds. Texas, Kansas, and Oklahoma State. And Lunardi has Texas in the same region as West Virginia, in Region 1. Purdue is the fourth number one seed. And we figured, when we talked about it earlier in the week, that Maryland would drop in the latest projections after that, I don't know, Tough loss, inexcusable loss, whatever. A bad loss. How about that? At Northwestern. And they did drop. Lunardi dropped them from an 8 seed to a 9 seed. And also moved them to Region 1. Which is West Virginia's region. And right now, as of today, uh, Joey Brackets has the Terps projected to play Clemson in Round 1. And remember, Clemson beat Maryland way earlier in the year with Gonzaga waiting in the next round. So, <laughs> hey, 
Uh, what's, what's your prize for winning the first round as an 8-9? Well, you get the number one seed in the entire tournament. So still a lot more to play out this weekend. Big games this weekend. We got conference tournaments already underway. As a matter of fact, uh, in the 8-10, Duke, or not Duke, Duquesne, upset the top seed Richmond yesterday. Did you see that? So we have some conference tourneys underway. Everything else starting next week as we approach Selection Sunday, just two Sundays away. One more quick note. The father of Wayne Gretzky, Walter Gretzky, passed away yesterday at 82. And I just wanted to pass that along. Almost met the man. Almost met the man. My cousin Steve lives in Ontario. And the house he lived in before the one he's in now was literally right down the street from Wayne Gretzky's childhood home, where Walter still lived. And we drove by there one day, and Walter was a great man, an awesome man, a kind man. And if his truck was in the driveway, we were going to stop by, knock on the door, and Steve said he would have let us in and to see all Wayne's stuff. But his truck wasn't there, so I didn't get a chance. But uh, rest in peace, uh, Wayne Gretzky, dead at 82. All right, show's in the books. Time for the weekend, baby. Yeah! Have a great weekend. Have fun. Be safe. See you back here Monday, 7 a.m. sharp. This is the Morning Rush. I am Tony C. And I am done. Ah, see ya!